0: CHAPTER Seven OF CUT BY THE COUNTY OR GRACE DARNELL BY MARY ELIZABETH BRADDON THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN AS FROM A DREAM OF MURDER Grace's shrieks rang through the silent house. The wife flung herself on the ground by her husband's side, voiceless, in a dumb agony, clinging to the prostrate form, kissing the pallid face, imploring for a word, a look. He was loosely dressed in trousers and velvet dressing-gown, dressed like a man who had risen hastily at a strange sound, prepared to face a midnight intruder his wife opened his dressing-gown and laid her ear against his breast yes the heart was beating still feebly as it seemed to her a beat which might dwindle into silence at any moment a thread of life that might snap while she listened servants came sleepy confused all talking at once then dora darnall very delicate and dainty in a flowing white garment with pale pink ribbons then the colonel in an old red velvet dressing-gown which made him look like a wizard for god's sake let someone go for the doctor said claire without lifting her head then, as Stukeley knelt on the other side of his friend's prostrate form, "'Oh, Colonel, you can help us. You will know. Is it a dangerous wound? Does it mean death?' "'Not death, no, no, God forbid,' said the Colonel. "'It is a nasty wound, a terrible loss of blood. The bullet has hit rather low, just below the ribs. What was he doing with that accursed revolver?' "'I don't know. They were on the table. He was looking at them an hour ago, before he went to bed.' "'You don't know?' said the Colonel, wonderingly. "'Weren't you in the room when it happened?' "'No, I was in the corridor. I had been in Grace's room. He was alone, then.' i i suppose so oh my poor poor brother ejaculated dora to think that he should have lifted his hand to take away his own life he is so good a christian he who used to be so happy how dare you say that he tried to take his own life said claire not loudly but with intense indignation you know that he is happy that he has never known a care since he has been my husband except his too thoughtful care for me oh my darling what evil things will not be said of me while your voice is silent to defend she added apostrophizing her unconscious husband with passionate love there will always be a voice to defend you or defence needed while Allan's friend is at your side said the colonel quietly perdue the old butler was in the room kneeling by his master he too had seen gunshot wounds and he knew that this was a desperate one with his help colonel stukely could have carried his old friend into the next room and laid him on his bed but after a murmured consolation they agreed that it was wiser not to lift him until the surgeon came the loss of blood might be intensified by any alteration of position lady Darnall brought a pillow for her husband's head a servant brought some brandy, and the colonel wetted Sir Allan's lips with a little, while Lady Darnall damped his forehead with eau de cologne. But there were no signs of returning consciousness. A groom had ridden off for the doctor. They heard the clatter of hooves just now galloping along the avenue, but to let him gallop as he might. It might be more than a half an hour before the doctor could arrive. The colonel and Perdue did all that could be done to staunch the blood which oozed slowly from Sir Allan's side. It was a terrible half-hour, a half-hour of agony, in which every moment might bring the fatal end of their fainting hopes. Clare Darnall crouched upon the ground beside her husband, hanging over him with white lips and despairing eyes, watching his ghastly face with a countenance that was almost as deathlike. "'He will die,' she kept saying to herself. "'He will die by the hand of my son. Oh, God, why did I ever link my accursed life with his?' Her mind went back to that other night of murder, the report of the gun ringing sharp in the silence of night, startling her from the heavy slumber of sheer exhaustion, the moment of bewilderment and doubt, then the rush to the window to see what had happened. The picture of that vanished scene flashed back upon her as she hung over her husband. The moonlit barrack-yard, doors open, lights appearing, dark figures crossing the quadrangle, and then a figure carried across the yard by four men. Her first thought had been that it was her husband's figure she saw thus carried, that he had escaped from his room and killed himself. She was to know soon that the calamity was even worse than this. And now came a second tragedy, a dire and horrible deed which was perhaps to desolate her life forever at last there came the sound of horses hoofs again galloping up the avenue two horses this time and sounding in the night silence like six then the opening of doors below and then footsteps in the corridor and the doctor was amidst them a stout elderly man commonplace but clever a man to be relied on in calamity he put them all aside and knelt down on one knee to examine his patient and then without expressing any opinion he ordered everyone out of the room except the colonel and perdue "'Grace, take care of Lady Darnall,' said the colonel, and Grace put her arm around her stepmother, and tried to lead her from the room, the girl blinded by tears, the woman's eyes dry and burning. She had not yet shed a tear. "'No, Grace,' she said, "'I will not go away. If I must not stay in this room, I will wait in the corridor. I will not go far from Allan." At the mere mention of her husband's name, she burst into a flood of tears, the first relief that had come to her since that first shock of her reprobate son's entrance. It was in vain that Grace pleaded, in vain that Dora lectured. Clare Darnall would not move beyond the outside of the morning-room door. She knelt with her ear against the keyhole, knelt there, listening, and praying dumbly now and then, till the doctor came out after a delay of an hour or more. "'Will he die?' she asked, seizing the doctor's arm. Mr. Danvers, the family doctor, looked grave and shook his head. "'It is a bad case, Lady Darnall.' "'But not hopeless—oh, for God's sake, say it is not hopeless.' "'We shall have Mr. Fredrickson here to-morrow morning,' answered the doctor. "'He can tell you better than I.' If my beloved one may die in the night before help comes, let me go to him, let me be with him. No, Lady Darnall, that is impossible. He must be kept very quiet, there must be no one in the room except Perdue and me. I shall stay here all night. Thank God for that. But it is cruel to keep me away from him. Do you think I am a child that I have no self-command? I think you are a woman, and that you love your husband. No, Lady Darnall, you must not enter that room till Sir Alan is in a less precarious state. You must obey me in this matter, for his sake.' "'I am going to send one of your men with a message to my wife, "'and then I shall go back to Sir Allen. "'We shall have a couple of surgical nurses down tomorrow morning.' "'Claire Darnall wrung her hands in silent despair. "'She turned from the doctor and walked quickly to the end of the corridor. "'Like King David, she turned her face to the wall. "'She felt that there was no comfort, no relief. "'Her husband was taken away from her, "'given over to nurses and surgeons, "'and she was told she must not enter his room. "'Her sacred right, as his wife, was set at naught. "'Death itself could not have robbed her more utterly of his presence.' to sit beside his bed to watch the changes of his face to listen to every breath there would have been comfort in this but she was to have no comfort she stood leaning against the moulding of the window-frame at the end of the corridor with her face to the wall my son my son she repeated to herself i ought never to have married that good man i was selfish wicked blind to link my miserable lot with his i am the cause of his death grace came from her room where she had been sitting with her aunt who had established herself there uninvited to be nearer poor allan Dear Mother, come to my room, come and lie down on my bed, pleaded Grace, and the word Mother sounded sweet in Clare Darnall's ears, even in the midst of her despair. The girl's tenderness recalled that revelation of Valentine's. No, my darling, your life should not be blighted, she sobbed, drawing Grace to her breast. You shall not be sacrificed to worthlessness and profligacy. The strange speech startled Grace. What could it mean? Could Lady Darnall know or suspect anything about her luckless lover, the man she had seen on the common that morning? She succeeded in getting Lady Darnall to her room, where Dora was sitting piously, before an open testament, reading the history of St. Paul's shipwreck and how the viper came out of the fire and hung upon his arm. It could hardly be particularly comforting in such a moment, but Dora fled to her Bible in calamity as a duty. She did not even wait for calmness and order around her, but sat down in the midst of chaos and read the first chapter that came to hand in a thoroughly businesslike way. By this means she had acquired a stupendous battery of texts, with which she was always ready to open fire in argument or warning. In Dora's mind, even the viper that came out of the fire was not altogether inapplicable to the present state of affairs. "'My poor brother has a viper hanging upon him,' she said to herself. "'I knew that misery would come out of that marriage, but I did not think that it would take the form of bloodshed.' Lady Darnall consented to lie down on a sofa wheeled near the fire, to please Grace, rather than from any hope of relief to be obtained from repose. A rug was spread over her, and she lay silent, with eyes closed. The other two women might suppose she was sleeping.' "'Had you not better go to your own room, Aunt Dora?' said Grace, a little worried by the sight of that calm, white-robed figure in the open Bible. Grace was firm in religious faith and reverence for the scripture, but she could not seat herself down to read the Acts of the Apostles with folded hands in the midst of a domestic convulsion. "'It is nearly two o'clock, Aunt Dora. Do go to your own room,' she said, hardly concealing her irritation. "'No, Grace, I like to be near Allen. My own room is at the other end of the house. I hope I am not in your way here?' "'Not at all,' said Grace, shortly, and then she got up and went out to the corridor and listened at her father's door. Not a sound. But he might die and she would hear no more than she heard now. It was all so sad, so inexplicable. Her father at death's door, he would had kissed her and bade her good-night in his cheeriest voice only a few hours ago. How had it happened? She had hardly been calm enough to wonder about it until now, but now she began to ask herself how this tragedy had come to pass. Could it be the result of accident?' Her father, an old cavalry soldier, the hero of two Indian campaigns, was such a man likely to be playing with firearms as children and cockneys play with such things? Was he likely to handle a revolver so ignorantly or so awkwardly as to lodge its contents in his side? And again she had understood that Sir Alan had gone to bed, and that Lady Darnall was writing alone in her room when she, Grace, knocked at the door. She longed to see her dear old colonel. He perhaps might have told her something, yet what could he know more than she, since he had only appeared on the scene after the catastrophe? She walked up and down the corridor for half an hour or more, till the cold drove her back to her room. It was very cold in that dead hour of the night, and poor Grace was shivering in her muslin dressing gown when she went back to her room. Dora Darnall was sitting by the fire, just as Grace had left her, steadily ploughing through the acts, as if she had been a divinity student preparing for an examination. Lady Darnall lay with her face hidden, motionless, silent. Is she asleep? inquired Grace, in a low voice. I believe so. Grace threw herself on her bed and cried herself to sleep, a troubled sleep, easily broken. She had slept thus, hardly for one moment, losing the consciousness of her grief, when she was awakened by an agonizing cry. She startled up from her pillow to see Dora Darnell standing beside the sofa in the dying firelight, looking down at her brother's wife. Claire was lying on her back, with her clasped hands above her head, her eyes wide open and the eyeballs fixed in an awful stare. "'My faults, my faults!" she cried. "'I murdered him!' The aunt and niece looked at each other, appalled, horror-stricken. Those words were the words of a dreamer, and dreams are wildest fictions, but such words at such a moment had a thrilling effect." End of chapter 7